welcome back to another episode of the Abide in the Word podcast. We're your hosts, Mike and Lauren. Hello. Before we get into it, I'd like to uh, just comment on a few things. One, recently we received the good news, we're excited, that the Christian podcast community, which is a ministry of striving for eternity, and if you go to strivingforeternity.org, you can go to their podcast page and you can see all the podcasts that are on there. And recently we were accepted onto that community, onto that podcast family. So yeah, we're excited about that. And hopefully uh, God will use our our little endeavor here as well to uh, honor his name and then uh, teach his word. Okay, so for today's topic, initially we were going to follow up our previous two episodes where we taught on the doctrine of eternal security or um, preservation of the saints. Our plan was to follow up those episodes with an episode on the doctrine of assurance of salvation. Can we know that we're saved and what do we base our assurance on? And our intent is still to do that. But Pastor Mike had gotten a question from someone in our church that uh, kind of caused us to... uh, change direction a little bit for this episode and to address some of these things. And maybe, Mike, if you want to jump in here and and talk about that and introduce our our, uh, subject here. Yeah, so I should say I'm Mike. And uh, on Sunday, a lady from our women's ministry came and asked me about um, uh, God's sovereignty, his his will, how he accomplishes his purposes in the world, about sin, and how how does that work with, with sin, which is obviously against God's will, and I started to to try to explain how that works to to this lady that that leads this study. And I, as I was explaining it, I was thinking, "There's no way that I can even explain this. Never mind, explain it to her so that she could explain it to her group next week." So then I offered to come teach at the group next week. But then I realized if I did that, I'm gonna I'm gonna take up all of their time and probably way more. And so it occurred to me, isn't that exactly what this podcast is for? To answer questions from our local community and uh, our church, and um, and so it just seemed good. Hey, what about doing it on the podcast? And here's probably where I owe you an apology, Lauren, because <laughs> I think I, I told you about that maybe on Monday, and then I didn't send you any notes or anything until uh, till today, um, today being Tuesday, and so you're kind of just uh, picking up in the deep end quick on this one. Well, that's that's fine by me too. So that way, all the onus of of the teaching falls on you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah. Well, we'll no, well, but that's good. Be helpful. Yeah, and that's that's as as you mentioned, Mike. You know, the desire is to um, try to answer questions and stuff that that come from from our uh, church, from our congregation, from our community, and then hopefully teach them and, and present them in a way that can be beneficial to the broader body of Christ as well. So here's here's actually a, a text message version of the question. Now this is one question, but apparently there was there's quite a few of uh, questions around this topic. Uh, last Bible study I mentioned that I think God always gets His will, but I guess maybe I don't rightly understand what the Bible means when it talks of God's will from the verse I quoted, Second Peter three nine. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I kind of see a parallel verse in Ezekiel thirty three eleven, which says, He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they should turn from their ways and live. Yet I see verses like Psalm sixteen four, which says, God made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. And Isaiah forty six ten, He declares the end from the beginning, 
and says, My counsel shall, shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And I remember from our study, Ephesians 1, 5 and 11 talk about our predestination being the good pleasure of his will, and that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Just wondering, what are your thoughts, and how should I reconcile verses like this? So that's kind of what we want to look at in, our, in the podcast today. Oh, that's great. Those are good questions. And when we look at Scripture, we, we do see exactly like that, you know, some verses that seem to uh, maybe contradict some of those doctrines or teachings, and especially as uh, a church and as, as people who hold to the full sovereignty of God and, and His decree how do those work together? So I think that's great to have that uh, kind of conversation regarding the will of God and to to look at that and to to dig in a little bit deeper into that topic and, and to see how how rich it really is as we continue to, to study theology, which is the study of God, right? And get to know him and, and how he has revealed himself in his word. Yeah, this is a, a study on the will of God, which is part of the attributes of God, often comes in under the omnipotence of God. And so we're, we're talking about God's sovereignty, God's power, and his will. What does he do? What is he like? What is he able to do? So yeah, I think, I think Lauren, you have a bit of an outline for us here where we're going to go today. Yeah, so what we're going to be looking at, we're going to start with some preliminary statements um, and then move into uh, scriptures regarding God's sovereign will or his decretive will, and then move on and we'll discuss the scriptures and God's preceptive will. And we'll define these terms as well as we go, and then we'll try to wrap it up in uh, with a fourth point, the harmonization of these two, and then also um, looking at the problem of evil and, and address that as well and try to give some insight and clarity on that. Yeah, huge, huge area to, to cover here. So as an opening statement and a quote here from Louis Burkhoff in his Systematic Theology, he says, The doctrine of the will of God often gives rise to serious questions. Problems arise here which have never yet been solved and which are probably incapable of solution by man. Now, reading a quote like that, we wonder, what are we trying to do here today, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we thought we'd take on the impossible. We're at four podcasts in or something like that, so let's go. Well, this is number five, so okay. let's give ourselves a little, keep track of a little bit of credit. Never mind all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, but yeah, that's a great quote because it, it reminds us, you know, we might not answer every Every problem. Uh, if Louis Burkhoff didn't, if some of the great theologians throughout church history didn't solve this to everyone's like intellectual satisfaction, then then likely we won't either. But I, I think we can make some some really helpful steps towards it. Well, and, and there too, I think often in a conversation like this, and hopefully something we can accomplish here this uh, in this episode is is to look at the scriptures and at least to give some foundation and, and framework for which to approach this topic and. And I often think of, especially something like this, and when we read that quote from Louis Burkhoff there, I think of Paul's words, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of God or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so we, we approach a topic like this, understanding how deep it is and, and and how much is there, but, you know, ultimately, we're trying to bring glory to him mm -hmm. in, in knowing him as he has revealed himself in his word. And I think that's a, a good foundation to start a, a deep subject as, as we're about to tackle here today and, and to understand that, you know, God has revealed these things to us, and hopefully we can, we can build upon that and give that foundation. And even for myself, I'm looking forward to going through this here today and just to continue to get a better grasp of, of what we are talking about. 
good. Yeah, that Romans 11.36 there, that's a great verse because, you know, it's how unsearchable are his ways. You can't track them out. But then from him, through him, and to him are all things. That's actually speaking about his will. Mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, Paul's talking and magnifying the power of God's will that everything that happens, happens through him and because of him. And it's for him uh, and for his glory. Well, and it also helps if if I can just uh, interject here uh, one more time. But it it also helps to to think about you know when as as the question posed, there seem to be verses that maybe contradict each other. But it helps us to understand that God has given us these all, all the scripture right to reveal His will, to reveal who He is, His person, His you know salvation, all these things. So if if they seem to contradict in our mind, that doesn't mean they contradict in God's mind. His His ways are way higher than ours. His thoughts. Who can know? the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, right? It helps us to to understand that as we, again, approach a topic like this, that we may not be able to fully reconcile all these thoughts, but they're there, they're in scripture. And so as we move through and read these verses um, and look at some of the the, uh, scriptures that we will hear in this episode, it should really help, again, just to to build that foundation and to to put a confidence in these things and, and help us to wrestle through some of these things. Good. Well, let's um, let's uh, just have a little quote from Augustine here. He says, The will of the Creator is the nature of every created thing. So everything comes from the will of the Creator. God, God is, everything is from Him again. And, um, and I think that leads us into, Lauren, you're going to look up Revelation uh, 4. It's Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So God is the creator of all things, and it's because of what he wills that everything, how does it say that? It exists and is created? Is that? By your will, they existed and were created. Yeah. So because of God's will, the things that are exist. And because of God's will, they were, they were created. Um, Herman Bavink says that he alone, alone, speaking about God, he alone has absolute authority. Always and everywhere, his will decides. Again and again, accordingly, there is mention in Scripture of God's sovereign will. And he he goes to there, he points to Daniel 4.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So he does according to his will. And, and it's not just in heaven either, it's also on the earth. And I think that's really, really important. And of course, that there is, that's Nebuchadnezzar's testimony as he kind of wakes up from his um his beastly state i don't know what we want to call that but but uh god kind of humbled him and showed him who's in charge and there's there's nebuchadnezzar's testimony that god does according to his will Bavink goes on to say um that will is the final ground of all things of their being and of their being as they are so god's will is the the ground the the reason why things are the way they are, and uh, the, even the, the, the reason that things are, the, the reason things exist. 
and uh, and you you know you know what I should just say here at this point we're you'll notice the we're we're relying heavily on Bavink. I spent I spent a good chunk of the day actually this afternoon reading through Bavink on God's will and just little shout out to Her- Herman Bavink's <laughs> theology. If if you don't have that four volume set, uh, very very good, very deep, very helpful. Also relying a little bit on uh, MacArthur and Mayhew and their biblical doctrine, which which all, which relies on Bavink as well. So, anyways, here's another quote from B- Bavink, and I just want to kind of go through this really slowly, and just kind of we're we're just thinking here about about God's God's will, uh, His omnipotence, His sovereignty, and 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 really just kind of digging into what what Augustine says, which is really what Scripture teaches: the will of the Creator is the nature of every created thing. Or, or we're just kind of going deeper into Revelation 4.11 there, where because of the will of God, they exist and were created. And so Bavink says this, he says, quote, and maybe I'll just read it through once and then we'll go to the scriptures. But he says this, quote, everything derives from God's will. Creation and preservation, Revelation 4.11. Government, and he gives some verses on that. Election and reprobation, Romans 9.15. And, and really that whole chapter. Regeneration, James 1.8, sanctification, Philippians 2.13, the suffering of believers, 1 Peter 3.17, our life and lot, James 4.15, Acts 18.21, Romans 15.32, even the most minute details of life, Matthew 10.29. In keeping with this, in keeping with this, Christian theology similarly honored the will of God as the final cause of all that exists and as the end of all contradiction. So Bavinka again is just saying everything that that is everything that exists is dependent on God's will it it is because God wills it. And so we 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 looked at creation and preservation in Revelation 4:11. Bavinka says government and he he looks to Proverbs 21:1, Daniel 4:35 which we already read and then Ephesians 1:11. So um do you have a uh, Proverbs 21:1 Lauren? The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Yeah, what a what an amazing verse. Now, when Bavink says government, he he's he you know, I think he means not just government like the king. I think he means like government as in as in providence, as in as in everything that God does in the world. And if you think about it, who's the strongest man that there is in the nation? It's it's going to be the king in most cases. Yeah. You know, there's some, we've done an episode on this, right? But it's not, the king's not always wise. The government's not always wise. But in the ancient world, the, the king is the, is the kind of the, the, yeah. the one. And if God can turn his heart wherever he wants, then how much more the common men? Well, the king's heart, as, as we read here in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And just to think of that in along that same line there, as as you mentioned, you know that if, if the king, being the ruler supreme, uh, as far as earthly regimes go and earthly monarchs go, if if he is but a, a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and, and turned wherever God so wills or desires, then it would f- fall to to us, to the to the pauper, to the poor, to the to everyone else underneath that. It would be all the more easy. Right, mm-hmm. it's it's it states or it's a statement to God's ultimate will over 
all of humanity. Great. So that's that's Proverbs 21.1. We already read Daniel 9.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does, that is, God does, according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody can stop God. And so his will is supreme. And then that leads us then to Ephesians 1.11. Which reads, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So there you have that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And in Ephesians 1, the context, and, and even it says there, predestination, the context is salvation. And so God is is there claiming, Paul is, is saying that, that God works everything, and it, and it applies to everything, but, but in the context, even salvation, I think, I, I think a lot of people don't have a, an issue saying God is sovereign over nature, God is sovereign over, you know, circumstances of life, or I don't, I don't even know what other kinds of things there are, but ev- everything... But when it comes well, to salvation, I think people are like, whoa, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, that's when the gears get put in, because now all of a sudden we, we're entering into a different topic, right? Where now we're looking at things like Calvinism or Arminianism, and, and that's kind of how people start viewing it, and so the brakes start being applied quite quickly. But to what you were saying, you know, how many times haven't we heard, and, and we can kind of speak to that, you know, how many people don't like to think of God as being absolutely sovereign when it comes to salvation. But even in, if we look at what's going on in the world today and just with the um, so-called pandemic, as we've called it before, people are quick to to tout, you know, God is in control of everything. God is in control. He's in control of my health. I don't need to take that vaccine if my conscience doesn't allow me. God is in control. He, you know, we we rely on that all the time. God is in control of all things. We we pray to him about the weather. We pray to him about life circumstances. We pray to him about all these things. We even pray to him about the salvation of unbelievers, which we would agree, according to Ephesians 1.11, is within the will and control of God. Yeah. You know what, you know what I think is funny as you just thinking about that? Lots of times Arminians like to say, well, all means all, all the time. <laughs> and I, I kind of want to go, well, hey, this all means all right that yeah. he works all things according to the counsel of his will not just yeah. some things not just most things but all things including including salvation but now we have to and we're going to going to reconcile that with with other scripture but but in other but Bavink's just saying everything derives from God's will creation and preservation and government or God's providence providence over all things then he says election and reprobation, which we already kind of hit. And he, he goes to Romans 9.15 there. And we don't have to go there, I, I don't think. I, I think one day we should do a like a three-part series on election and reprobation. <laughs> and uh, three, I think that would be good. A three-part yeah. series, so just an introductory series. <laughs> yeah. We'll just sure. introduce it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll do another 20, we'll do 20, yeah. 20 episodes after that, just answering people's questions. <laughs> Pro- probably. Um, another thing that drives from God's will, regeneration. And I think that is a, a really important one. James one eighteen. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So there's the will of God. He, he brought us forth, speaking about regeneration, that we would be firstfruits of his creatures. I'm going to do Philippians 2.13, and then 
and then uh, you can do First um, Peter three seventeen. But sanctification is according to God's will, and and this is just a great verse. Paul tells the the Philippians to uh, work out their own. But the verse says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the last part of verse 12. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's good pleasure, that's, that's speaking about his will there. And God is working in the Philippians, in the believers, to cause their will. He's working in them to, to, to cause their will and what they do to work according to God's good pleasure. And so God's in charge of sanctification. Uh, the suffering of believers, 1 Peter 3.17. Peter writes, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Again, suffering is according to God's will. Uh, our life and our lot. James 4.15 is the next one there. So James 4.14 uh, uh, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I think that's a really important verse there. That just, if the Lord wills, obviously our living, our doing this or that is subject to the will of God. And again, that just shows everything is dependent on the will of God. Next verse here is in Acts eighteen twenty one. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Paul, again, acknowledges that his sailing or not sailing is dependent on the will of God. And then Paul says in Romans fifteen thirty two, So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Right. And then... Uh, Bavink says, even the most minute details of life. And he looks there to Matthew 10.29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So again, it's just, it's, everything depends on God's will, even, even the amount of hair uh, if you guys know Lauren, the amount of hair in his beard <laughs> is uh, is by the will of God, and and also the lack of hair in my beard that's that's God's will as well. Um, and we don't even have to uh, to try to harmonize those ones. All right, so so that's kind of just a, a just an introduction, and and you see the weight of scripture that that points to this. But I, I thought it might be helpful just to spend a bit of extra time and just talk about what they call what's what theologians call the divine divine decree, which which I like to think of as God's blueprint that He made before the foundation of the world. So God made a plan, uh, a decree. Um, he 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 took counsel together and organized all the things that He would do throughout history to bring glory to himself through our our fall through you know from from creation redemption fall to salvation and restoration all of it from the beginning from before the foundation of the world was planned by God and now in time he's accomplishing that plan 
and God's not not changing his plan. It's an it's an immutable decree. It's an unchangeable decree from before the foundation of the world that happens even including sin to the to the very detail that God has designed. And 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 then let's just go to some scriptures just to to kind of show that and then we'll 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 look up some maybe some theological definitions. But let's just look at the scriptures first and I think we'll start with Isaiah 46:10. And I think 9 is maybe there too. I think you might want to read 9 too. Hosea 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Okay, uh, great. So the... God declares the end from the beginning. So what's going to happen in the end, he declares it from the beginning. And he says, I'm going to accomplish all my, all my purpose, all my purpose. And my, and then my My, counsel, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So notice there the, the parallelism with my counsel and my purpose. This is what God is calling his decree. The, the thing that he planned from the beginning that he's going to accomplish in the end is his purpose and he's going to he's going to accomplish it uh all the way through so um now do you ha- did you bring up Romans 8 there so but let's go to do you have Isaiah can you get Isaiah 14:27 you know what i got it i got it right here so let me okay uh Isaiah 14:27 the lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it his hand is stretched out, who will turn it back? And so there again, we see the, this purpose of the Lord. And, and notice, who's going to annul it? These are rhetorical questions. Nobody. Right. Nobody can turn back his, his plan. And so if God plans something, his omnipotent will is going to accomplish it. And, I, and I, I think you can't get around these scriptures. Like, right. he, God is just... And even... Like we saw in the the last verse, his godness, who is like me, is tied to this ability that he has to get his will. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So there again, I just I we just see that again throughout Scripture. My purpose. There's his. There's his purpose. And he's he's causing all things to work together for good. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, and it, it really in a lot of these scriptures they tie in to uh, the attributes of God, right? His immutability, his aseity, who who he is, mm-hmm. and his otherness, right? Like he is he is unique in that in that way. And when we understand that, it helps us to to think of this this way as well, right? His purposes are what they are. They have existed for an eternity in the mind of God and His foreknowledge. It's it's not a plan that he slowly builds together. Time didn't exist. All all thoughts existed in his mind for all eternity, mm-hmm. right? And in that sense, his his foreknowledge and knowing that also becomes causative in that way. And in his his will then is accomplished simply because of who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a great a great passage in Jonathan Edwards where he talks about like why why is something future. And of course, he talks about it like Jonathan, only Jonathan Edwards can, but he talks about the futurition of a thing <laughs> and how, 
how is is it is it future because God decreed it or is it future apart from his decree and he argues just with some really sound logic that the reason something's future is because God decreed it and not because because otherwise if if something's future without God's decree then why is God going around saying he decreed a bunch of stuff right mm-hmm. so and planned a bunch of stuff so um anyway the futurition of a thing you should look that up the god's concerning the divine decrees a, a great little kind of treatise by jonathan edwards the next scripture that we had here was psalm 33 10 and 11 the lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing he frustrates the plans of the peoples the counsel of the lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations good and i think that one just just stands almost as it is there, unless you had something you wanted to say about that one, Lauren. No, I'm good if you have the next passage so I, ready there. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go um, Job 42.2. Job answers the Lord, kind of the ending, near the ending of the book of Job, and he says, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so Job, Job comes to know that in the end, that, that God can do all things, and that no purpose of his, no, nobody can stop God in what he wants to accomplish. And I think that's really important for us to know. Nobody's stopping God. Mm-hmm. Nobody's thwarting his plans. Nobody's, in fact, the passage that the women might have been reading, I'm not, we, nobody's really sure how this question came up uh, or remembers, but there's a, a, a verse there where, where Paul says in Thessalonians 2 that Satan hindered him. And, um, and so, you know, I, the, Satan works, and, and we see Satan working in the book of Job as well, but it's it's always according to what God allows Satan to do. Mm-hmm. God God even takes credit, if, you want to, if we want to say it that way, for what Satan did, saying, you know, you incited me against Job, talking to right. Satan. So the Lord takes credit for it, and so Satan does do things, and, and Job... We see a lot of things that the, the devil did to Job and his life, but it was because God willed to permit it or willed mm-hmm. to allow it, or I don't know how we want mm-hmm. to say that, but, but God willed it because if he didn't will it, it wouldn't have happened. So in a sense, Satan hindered Paul from getting wherever he wanted to get. I, I don't even remember the context there, but I think we could also say just as, as equally that that God willed that as well. It was mm-hmm. according to God's will. Right. And and that's something too that maybe even later on as we address the the problem of sin in in the will that we can look at that a little uh a little deeper but we see especially like in the book of Job where where all these things happen and and yes it it happened according to God's will. We see that Satan wasn't able to do anything apart from where God set the limits and what what he desired to have happen and yeah. and we look through that book and we see a lot of powerful doctrine come out of it and yeah. just in the character and nature of God and his, who he is. Right. I think I, I said in a sermon recently, kind of remembering something that Steve Lawson had said that the devil is the Lord's devil. And right. uh, I think that's what the book of Job teaches. He he says, you know, you go do whatever you want against Job, only don't touch his person. And the devil's not like, okay, I'll do it. No, he Okay. And he goes and he does everything he can do, but he doesn't touch Job. And then he comes back for round two and says, you know, if you if you let me touch his person, if you let me, um, you know, inflict some sickness on him, 
he'll curse you to your face and God says, okay, go for it, but don't, don't kill him. I think something along, that's a paraphrase, but you know, and, and the devil can only go so far as the Lord allows. And, and there too, we recognize that the devil has a lot more power than we do. And yet he's restricted by the will of God. So how much more so, you know, kind of the same example that we looked at before using kings and, and paupers, right? If, if God controls the king, surely he controls the pauper. And likewise, if the, if the devil is restricted and, and limited by God's will, then how much more so us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, good. So I think the next one that I, that I really do want to look at is Lamentations three thirty seven and 38. Who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Good. And, and, and all, all I really wanted to get out of that one is good and bad. And uh, I believe that would be the Hebrew uh, verb ra or a derivative of that. And, and of course, I'm not looking at my Hebrew Bible right now, but that's, that's evil. Good and evil comes from the Lord. He's, and he takes, takes sovereign uh, responsibility for what happens in the world. He's not trying to protect himself from the charge. Now, he, he does not do evil. He's not, he's not, like we're going to talk about later, the chargeable cause. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't shy away from saying, I did this, this evil. We sometimes try to defend his reputation more so than he does, in mm-hmm. that sense. Yeah. As though that's a slight against him, when really, again, it brings glory to him in the sense that he is in control of all things. And I think really there too, just to focus on, and I, and I hope by the end of this episode, we, we really get that, but when we see that he is fully in control, and then we see what's going on in the world around us, you know, not, not even just with the current political climate and circumstances, but just in regards to sin and, and suffering, the the more we understand and the more we focus that God is always in control, and even in our suffering, as we read in 1 Peter 3.17, it is for his glory and it is for our good. And and it should help us as, as children of God to rest in him as we go through these verses again, just to build on that doctrine of God, who he is, and, and that he is absolutely sovereign. You know, just, just thinking about what you just said there, um, here's a quote from uh, Calvin's Institutes. And uh, he says this, he says, The modesty of those who are thus alarmed at the appearance of absurdity might perhaps be excused did they not endeavor to vindicate the justice of God from every semblance of a stigma by defending an untruth. Recourses had to the evasion that evil is done only by the permission and not also by the will of God. He himself, however, openly declaring that he does this repudiates the evasion. So he's talking, Calvin's talking about people who want to kind of vindicate God's justice and, and keep him away from, from evil, but God in the scripture just openly declares that he does do evil. Now, he's not, doesn't do evil for the sake of the evil, and we got to talk about that. But again, just, just that kind of just reminded right. me of that quote, and I, I thought I'd bring that up now. Do we want to go to Acts 2? I think we should, right? Yeah, I have it ready here. On Acts 2, verses 23 to 26. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, 
I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. So yeah, there there we see Jesus is delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Now, what's so great about this verse though is that on the one hand, Jesus was crucified according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But then Peter says and I, for a second I forgot who was preaching there, but Peter says that you crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. And so there we see God's plan was for Jesus to be crucified for for our salvation. The the wicked people's plan was a lawless plan. So God has planned this for a good purpose. The the men have planned this for an evil purpose. They're accountable for their evil. God though is not the one who who when God planned this and and uh, and decreed this he decreed it for the sake of the good that would happen mm. not for the evil and and also as we think about this too it's helpful to to always recognize god didn't force these lawless men to do it it was their own wickedness mm-hmm. that caused them to do it it was it was them from which the evil came god's part in it is only for the good that's going to be accomplished through that evil and so I, th- I think that's, that's just a really, really helpful verse, as well as the, the, the parallel, again, in Acts 4. Acts 4, verse 27 and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lauren, I, I think you had some things that, that you were thinking about that passage in particular but again verse 28 it's God's hand and plan and that he had predestined you know decided on before that's what predestined mean God had decided on before what was going to take place but Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel they were against the holy servant Jesus Right. right so yeah yeah, and my thoughts on that were, you know, we were reading earlier on the Cripplegate blog site, thecripplegate.com, and there's a series of three articles on God's will written by Mike Riccardi. And in the third one, which kind of ties into our uh, our last point, is in regards to the question of God and evil and why the ultimate cause is not the chargeable cause. And in there he speaks of this, and this is a great example of that, where we see even in Acts... Uh, chapter 20 or chapter 2 verse 23 this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God there we see God being the ultimate cause you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men the 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 Jews being the the proximate cause Mike Riccardi calls it in in that uh, article the near cause yeah and then the efficient cause were the hands of the Romans the Romans actually doing it and in that sense the uh, the proximate cause and the efficient cause are the only two chargeable in that sense where God's ultimate cause is ultimately for good for his plan for and and we look at that we're recipients of the good of that plan in regards to our salvation right Mm -hmm. and so he made a way in which his justice and wrath could be satisfied and fulfilled in the crucifixion of Christ but the the Jews who who offered him up for uh, crucifixion and the Romans who conducted it are still 
100% responsible for their actions. And, and as he says, right, he delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is God's plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there's still a full responsibility on their part on that. And we just, again, see that. And I just really liked how Mike Riccardi put that in that blog article on the Cripplegate, breaking that up in those kind of categories where God is the ultimate cause, where he decrees all things, and, and that can't be thwarted. But then the proximate and the efficient causes are still ultimately the people that can be charged for sin. And that's where sin comes in in that sense, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, okay, well, that, that kind of just is the divine decree. That's a, a summary of what scripture says about the divine decree. Uh, actually, I had 2 Timothy 1.9 talks about how uh, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So there's God's purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So there again, we, we just see now, when we think about the, the divine decree, it's God's purpose, it's the counsel of his will, it's his will, it's his purpose and grace. He, I think if, if we kind of went through all those verses again, we could probably pull out uh, five or six, maybe even up to ten different things that scripture, scripture calls this plan. But God has a plan that makes the future certain. The future mm-hmm. is certain in God's mind. And actually, I think this is where we wanted to maybe read from the Westminster Confession. Or do you want something? You can go ahead and... Yes, I also had these quotes here from... Um, oh, yeah, from Burkhoff. Louis Burkhoff. Yeah. Uh, I'll start with that, and then I'll, I'll read that portion of the Westminster Confession. So, quoting Louis Burkhoff here, The decretive and the preceptive will of God. The former is that will of God by which he purposes or decrees whatever shall come to pass whether he wills to accomplish it effectively or causatively, or to permit it to occur through the unrestrained agency of his rational creatures, indicating the duties which he enjoins upon them. The former is always accomplished, while the latter is often disobeyed. The secret... Okay, well, so let's just, let's just sure. slow down, because actually we didn't really say what the decretive or the perceptive will of God is. I, I know that's trying to define it for us, but... The, the verses that we just looked at are God's decretive will, also sometimes called his secret will, um, mm-hmm. also sometimes called um, the counsel of his will. Uh, there's, there's probably a few different things, that, which makes it kind of difficult. But God's decretive will, God's secret will, that's the will that, by which he accomplishes everything that comes to pass. In, in MacArthur and Mayhew's Biblical Doctrine, there's a, a bit of a definition. A lot of the verses we've kind of covered as, as we've gone through, but if I, I'll just read some of the definition here as well. Some have called this will, so speaking of the decretive will, God's secret will, and yet while its full extent is hidden, aspects of it are revealed. This is God's good pleasure, his eternal, unchangeable counsel or decree in which he has foreordained all things. God's decretive will characterizes all of God's essence so it is eternal, immutable, independent, and omnipotent. This does not mean that he is the immediate or efficient cause of all things, but that all things exist or occur by his eternal sovereign decree. God's decretive will makes everything certain, but he does not coerce his creatures to do anything. He ordains the free choices of men, 
And then here we reference the, the Westminster Confession. As the Westminster Confession uh, states in section 3.1, God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. So that's great. So God's got this plan by which everything that's going to happen in the world, whatsoever comes to pass, is, is, is rendered certain. But it's, it's in such a way that God's not coercing anyone. God's not doing violence to the will of the creature. They're, they're making their own free choices. Even contingency is, is happening where, you know, if, if one thing is, is dependent on another thing, all of those things are established. All of those causes, all the, the chain of effect that happens, all of that's established by God's decree of will. But again, God's not, God's not forcing anyone to do things against their will. So th- that's, that's actually called um, the doctrine of compatibilism, where we understand that God's decree is compatible with the, f- the free choices that people make. Now, Burkhoff kind of, if we go back to that, then he was, he was describing the, the different ways that we can look at God's will. And he's, he's making this distinction between the decretive will and the perceptive will. And so we're trying to just enter into this discussion of the perceptive will here. So yeah, go ahead. I can, and I can start that quote again, might make a little more sense now. The decretive and the perceptive will of God. The former is that will of God by which he purposes or decrees whatever shall come to pass, whether he wills to accomplish it effectively or causatively, or to permit it to occur through the unrestrained agency of his rational creatures, indicating the duties which he enjoins upon them. Not speaking of the decretive will, is always accomplished while the latter is often obeyed. The decretive will is always accomplished while the latter, the preceptive will, is often disobeyed. The secret and the revealed will of God, this is the most common distinction. The former is the will of God's decree, which is largely hidden in God, while the latter is the will of the precept, which is revealed in the law and the gospel. The distinction is based on Deuteronomy 29, 29. All right, so I I just pulled my copy of Burkhoff because I'm looking at that quote and I'm thinking something is not right there. And I I actually skipped something. So I don't know if we can edit this or we're just going to... Uh, be more humble in the podcast, that's okay. But Burkhoff's again, he's talking about the decretive and the perceptive will, and he says the former, so the decretive will, is that will of God by which he purposes or decrees whatsoever shall come to pass, whether he wills to accomplish it effectively, causatively, or to permit it to occur through the unrestrained agency of his rational creatures. This is what I missed before. The latter, which is the perceptive will, the latter is the rule of life which God has laid down for his moral creatures, indicating the duties which he enjoins upon them. The former is always accomplished, while the latter is often disobeyed. So the perceptive will is God's will of command, which is another way that people talk about it, and it's what he enjoins upon us, what he, what he calls us to do. So it's speaking not about what God will do, but the perceptive will speaking about what he tells us to do. And I think that's a, a really important distinction in those two. So 
Is, is there a sense in which we look at it and, and understand the decree of will being, you know, again, as we mentioned earlier, in God's mind for all eternity past? So it's outside of time. It, it exists there and it will be accomplished. The preceptive will is kind of, now I'm not sure if I'm wording this right, but in a, in a way how God interacts with us in the course of time. He tells us how to act. He, he gives us his laws, his commands. And in that sense, we, we disobey. So that will isn't necessarily always accomplished. But but we see in that way, it still always lends to the ultimate end, which is his decreed will, his decretive will. Yeah, I think I think that's that's really helpful. So those quotes that we fumbled our way through, um, and with Burkhoff reading, uh, the distinction is based on Deuteronomy twenty twenty nine twenty nine, which reads: "The secret things belong to the Lord our God." But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that may, we may do all the words of this law. So yeah, we've, we see the, the secret things, that's God, that's his plan. We don't know what that is unless he reveals it. Um, those things that he has revealed, that's, that's for us to know. Just a, a little bit here, kind of gleaning from uh, Herman Bavink again. He talks about the, the, the twofold will and the way it was described. So there, there's, he says that, that there's at an early stage, a distinction was made in theology between these two sides of the divine will. Later, this twofold will was described on the one hand as God's will, the will of God's good pleasure, God's secret will, and the decretive will. And on the other, as the expressed or signified will, the revealed will or perceptive will. The term signified or revealed derives from the fact that this will makes known to us what is what is pleasing to God and our duty. So there's the it's it's signified, it's it's revealed what what's pleasing to God and what's our duty. It is known to us through the five signs he says, precept, prohibition, counsel, permission, and operation. So those are the the ways that this this signified or revealed will. As we start to talk about that, there's Things that God tells us that he wants us to do. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the, the prescriptive will. So again, just going with Bavink here, he says, Theology stoutly maintains that the world was brought into being by an act of God's free and sovereign will, and that God had his own wise reasons for that will. To us, a thing is good for the sole reason that God wills it. God himself can never have willed anything unless it is either good in itself or from some other reason. We can almost never tell why God willed one thing rather than another and are therefore compelled to believe that he could just as well have willed one thing as another. But in God there is actually no such thing as choice inasmuch as it always presupposes uncertainty, doubt, and deliberation. He, however, knows what he wills, eternally, firmly, and immutably. Every hint of arbitrariness, contingency, or uncertainty is alien to his will, which is etermin- eternally determinate and unchanging. And so the, the idea here is that, and I think this is, I, I just found a lot of comfort in this quote, God, in his decree of will, even though he does will evil, he does it for good reasons. And now we don't always know those reasons. Some of those reasons belong to the secret things. But in the end, we will see that God's decretive will was holy, wise, and good. And we'll all agree to that. And I would agree with 
your statement. You know, there's there's comfort in that. We live in an evil world. We we are surrounded by wickedness and evil all throughout the course of time. We read in scriptures, we read through history, we see it in the world today through so many different things, through abortion is one that always comes to mind when we think of, of uh, evil that has manifested itself and, and you know, people are, are looking at it as though it is a good thing. We look at the um, sex slave trade, children being kidnapped and, and abused and, and so much wickedness, so, so much wickedness. There's a sense in which we find comfort in the fact that though God is not the author of sin, all things that are happening are ultimately still happening within his decretive will, and therefore all wrongs will be made right. Mm-hmm. And and he is in control as we live in this wicked world. I know sometimes you hear the statement, you know, who would even want to bring a child into this wicked world? And well, we can comfortably do that as as Christian parents because we know that all things are working according to his purpose and his plan and his will, including that of our lives, our children's lives, those those lives of the loved ones around us, family, friends, church, community, all those things, right? And so there's a, a hope and comfort that we have in that. And, and though it may sound odd, and maybe some even listen to this that haven't thought about it that way, but there's a rest in the fact that even the wickedness that happens in this world is doing so within the bounds and will of God. Yeah. And I think, and maybe we'll get to this a little bit later, is is that he is going to use that wickedness to show his glory, which ends up being our ultimate happiness in eternity. And so through the, the wickedness that God has decreed and ordained, he's going to reveal his glory. And, and I think for, you know, as Paul says in Romans 9, to us who are the vessels of mercy, we're going to enjoy the glory of God forever that, that, that shone even brighter through the, the wickedness that he also ordained. And so these are, these aren't just like, you know, theological, like happy things to, um, to, you know, think about the, these, this, this comes to our life and, and affects us. But yeah, then this, these kinds of things are where we see theology affects life. Right. Mm-hmm. And when difficult things happen in my life or your life, we can know, like, just like Bavink said there, that whatever, if, if he willed it, we can take comfort in us. To us, he says, a thing is good for the sole reason that God wills it. Mm-hmm. God himself can never have willed anything unless it is either good in itself or for some other reason. And, and a lot of times when we think about the evil, there's another reason behind it. And, and we don't know always what God's going to work. I know even in my own life, there's been some really difficult things that that God turned for good, and I would, I would never want, I, w- I would rather have that, that evil thing mm-hmm. and, and have the good that I, ha- that I see now. And, and sometimes we just admit we might not see that before eternity, and that's okay. Well, and, and that's, it reminds me of, of you know, when, when things have happened as well, where you're just at a loss for words, maybe be it through grief, through, through hardship, whatever it may be. And I know for myself, I like to remind myself of God's ultimate sovereignty for that reason right it's hard to understand it's hard to grasp but those at those points in times especially and i'm thinking specifically of of grieving that god is in control and that he works all things but but we rest in the truth of that we we trust him because he is trustworthy we may not feel it and our feelings and our emotions and our grief and our pain won't always allow us to rejoice in those times but we lean on his trustworthiness 
on his truth. And I think truly God helps and walks us through that. And, and like you said, this is where theology affects our life. Why study theology, right? Why study doctrine? And, and we often hear that. And I think that's kind of common for American evangelicalism. And we're definitely not hidden from that in our own community and culture. But the idea, you know, not to get too deep into doctrine and theology, but this is exactly why, because it shapes who we are and how we view God. Life's not easy. Everyone will face grief, hardship, sorrow, be it all through life, through throughout a day, from morning till evening, hardly a day can go by where there's not ups and downs. And how do we face those? How do we react to those? And, and it's easy to shrug that off as, well, God is in control. God's got this. Yes. But do you truly believe that? And do we then rest in that truth, knowing that he is in control and, and we continue to, to move forward? And so definitely I think that's a great point to make that how we view even evil in the world and wickedness in, in light of God's decretive will absolutely affects how, how we face those things in our own lives. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. Well, so we, we're, we're kind of just verging into this perceptive will here. <laughs> and um, Well, let's dive in yeah, then now. <laughs> okay. Let me, I'll just read from MacArthur and Mayhew here, and then we'll do the scriptures. Sure. Uh, they say, it's often called God's revealed or signified will. At times, the decretive will and the perceptive will co coincide, but often as part of his decretive will, God ordains that the creature disobeys his perceptive will. God reveals his perceptive will by means of scripture's commands, prohibitions, warnings, chastenings, and judgments. God's perceptive will is God's will only in a prescriptive sense. His decretive will is, is the perfection that results in actual occurrences. Uh, the perceptive will reveals not what God will do, but what he demands of people. So this is, this is God's commandments. This is his will that he tells us to obey. And so maybe Matthew 7, 21, uh, it would be a good example of that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the, the one who does the will of my Father, and then the idea there in context is that the, it's the person who, who lives the, the transformed life of the Sermon on the Mount. That's, that's doing the will of the Father in heaven. And so only a, you know, a, a, a genuinely born-again person can live like that. And so um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to result in fruit of doing the will of the Father. And so that will is, is laid out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. God tells us to live that. Now, do you perfectly obey that, Lauren, or do I perfectly obey that? No, but that's no. what God has commanded us to do. Well, we see the scriptures, right? Be holy for I am holy, um, or as I am holy, so many. And, and I think it helps us then to also understand these terms, decretive will and preceptive will, where the preceptive will is based on his precepts, on his commands, on his laws. This is what he commands and tells us to do, how to do things, and we fail. So that this is what he wills in regards to what we should do, but we don't necessarily. But his decretive will, again, are his decrees. These are unchangeable. Yeah. And so just... A, a quick clarifying note on even those terms to help us understand that and to distinguish between the two. So yes, they're both his will, but one in a sense is from eternity past decreed. It's, it's, it will happen. Yeah. The other one are his precepts, his laws, what he's telling us to do. And Which might not necessarily happen. He exactly. didn't, he didn't plan that I would be perfectly holy from the moment of my salvation. 
and, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna go against his will in the fact that I that he's told me to do things that I haven't done mm-hmm. doesn't make it right right I'm I'm not I'm not justified I can never say well that was what you decreed God no I'm responsible for my own sin I've broken God's commandments but I have I can never break God's decree mm-hmm. because that's been planned from before the foundation of the world so I think that's helpful to to think about that and you know you could just almost go to almost any verse in scripture on God's will and you'll you'll see that that there's these commands these warnings these prohibitions these chastenings these judgments these um these things that God tells us and um and that's his that's his will in a in a sense but it's not his ultimate will so uh, do you have another one there for us Lauren John 7:17 7, if anyone's will is to do God's will he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So if you have this desire to do God's will, you will, you will know. And of course, by God's will, he doesn't mean God's decree. He means what God commands us to do. Uh, Romans 12, 2, I think would be really helpful. Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right. We could go, and, and here's probably where we should just go to Genesis 45, I think it's 45, 5 or 6, and then, and then 50, 20. And I think that, that this is where, where these kind of verses fit in. This is the whole Joseph thing. What, what does that say there? So Genesis 45, 5 reads, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. I think here we see it very clearly, right? The the idea, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, sold him there, and, and he's telling them not to be distressed or angry with themselves because even though they sold him, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God's will, decretive will, sent Joseph beforehand to preserve lives. Even though his brothers were fully responsible there, they sold him in, into slavery, which, yeah, yeah we... Um, agree would be wrong right right so we would say on the one hand it's not god's will to sell your brother into slavery you know and and uh and do all the wicked things that joseph's brothers did to him but at the same time god intended it for good god had a good plan through that well and he and he decreed that in order to save lives yeah and we see joseph's brothers the 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 nations that come out of them right and and how God's story unfolds through them. So God decreed beforehand already these things to happen in order to preserve this line, these people, these lives. Yeah. And through that, we have the Messiah come. Yeah, right? and there's, there's no way I could give you the verse right now, but earlier in the Genesis narrative, maybe maybe Genesis 17, maybe Genesis 19, God even tells Abraham that his descendants are going to end up in slave as slaves in Egypt and so and 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 then come out of there and it's all part of God's plan that he decreed that Joseph's brothers would do this wicked thing so that he could you know preserve the seed line bring the messiah uh, all these things now do you have Genesis 50:20 there yes as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today so there's the evil of the of Joseph's brothers, God's good, and and God, God can decree evil and bring good out of it in a way that that we can't and we're not permitted to do. Mm-hmm. So, and, um, and and there too again, 
Joseph's brothers are responsible for their actions. They're responsible for what they did. Mm-hmm. God's will, God decreed he was the ultimate cause. His brothers were the proximate and efficient causes or the proximate cause that led to the efficient cause. They're the chargeable ones. It was their sin, not God's sin, though he decreed it. Yeah. Because his decree was ultimately for good. His decree was the best thing that could have happened. His plan that's good. How man acts and reacts within that, breaking his perceptive will. You shouldn't sell someone into slavery. You shouldn't, you know, you're supposed to love our brothers yeah. and sisters. You're not supposed to hate them so much that you first want to murder them and then rather you just sell them and, and try to make a profit and then lie to your own father about it. They broke his perceptive will in that sense, his precept, his laws, his, it went against what God wanted. But Ultimately, in doing that, they carried out his decree in which God sent Joseph before them to save lives, yeah. that many would be spared. Yeah, super helpful. So yeah, let, let me go, and we, we probably need to wrap this episode up pretty soon, right? We're, I guess we're just going to be one of those long podcasts, you know, and, that, and, and that's okay, I guess. You know. Good thing we're not popping them out twice a week or something like yeah, that, right? That might be maybe why we don't do it. So... <laughs> But this, just listen to this from Bavink again. He says, over and over in history, we see the will of God assert itself in two ways. God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son, yet he does not let it happen, Genesis 22. He wants Pharaoh to let his people go, yet hardens his heart so that he does not do it, Exodus 4.21. He has the prophet tell Hezekiah that he will die. Still, he adds 15 years to his life, Isaiah 28.1 and 5. He, provi- he prohibits us from... Condemning the innocent, yet Jesus is delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God does not will sin. He is far from iniquity. He forbids it and punishes it severely, yet it exists and is subject to his rule. And he gives all kinds of scriptures on that. But he wills the salvation of all, Ezekiel 18, 23, 32, 33, 11, yet has mercy on whom he wills and hardens whom he wills. And so we kind of see from that quote the the. Mm-hmm. contrast between the decretive will and the perceptive will and, and we see that kind of throughout history i think that's helpful well and even in regards to salvation that that also helps to understand you know when he commands everyone everywhere all all people to repent his preceptive will yes yeah. everyone is called to repent in his decretive will we again we see the, yeah. the idea of our salvation being of his will right yeah. not how we will but how he wills yeah and that, i think that's like uh, many are called, but few are chosen. Right. Right. And I think that's kind of the idea there. So there's, there's a, everyone, the gospel call, we talked about this in, in men's ministry a few weeks ago, the gospel call is to everyone. And even in a sense, God, God wills the salvation of everyone in, in the sense that he commands them to repent mm-hmm. and he, he, ha, he has told them and warned them and, and, and even tried to woo them, but they, they won't come to Christ. Only the elect, only those who are predestined are actually going to come because God has decreed their regeneration, I think is a way that I would want to say right. it. And I think it's important there as as you make that comment, you know, though he calls everyone to repent and, and the question or the opposition to that often comes in as th- that's unjust or unloving for God to demand. He wouldn't demand something of people if if they weren't able to. And and I think it's just helpful to understand, you know, we referenced earlier his command to be holy as I am holy. We are, we are commanded to be as holy as God. I, I don't think any Christian, no matter what, what tradition they, they, they cling to, 
would say that we are as holy as God. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some kind of more charismatic movements that, that think we're little gods and, and other blasphemies like that. And yeah. maybe we can talk about that more so in another episode. But we are commanded to be as holy as he is, and yet we cannot be. We are called to love perfectly, and yet we cannot. Yeah. Right? So yes, we are told in many ways, and, and again, in his in his precepts, we are, we are given many commands that we cannot keep, including for many people the command to repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, that, we, yeah, that we cannot keep and, and will not keep. Exactly. Yeah. And yet, it's by our own volition. It is, it is our desire not to keep those things, our, our sin, right? As, as, and I forget the exact verse reference. Maybe, maybe you can help me out here. But John references, you know, our will is to do, um, we are of our father, the devil, and our will is, or our desires are, is to do his will. Yeah. Right. So in our unregenerate state, that is where our human will comes in. Our human will is is to please ourselves, our flesh, and and our father, the devil. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can never say, well, yeah, but God, you didn't decree it. Right. Like mm-hmm. you know, that reminds me of of Romans chapter nine, where the 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 objection is, well, well, but who resists His will? But you know, we are still guilty for our own choices and our own refusal to come. So I think we should probably try to just wrap up this episode. Now, so when we talk about these two wills, it's not as though God is like kind of will something in one way, but doesn't really will something in another way. The perceptive will is what, what he wants us to do. It's, it's not what God himself is going to do. And, and so the God's will is really one. It's, it's a, in, in fact, um, theology likes to say it's a, it's a simple thing. It's not made up of multiple parts. There's no contradiction. Right. There's no fighting going on between God as though he wills something in some ways, but not in other ways. His his will is simple. He's not sitting in eternity disappointed because he willed something and but just wasn't able to bring it about because of our lack of our cooperation or something like that. Yeah, and that and that's really something else we could get into. Part of the glory and blessedness of God is that he is a God that is always blessed because he always accomplishes his will. He's never going, "Oh, er, oh, I wish I could have done it." I but he's all, the reason he's blessed is because his will is always accomplished. Right. Not his will that he tells us to do, but his decretive will. So Bavink, Bavink puts it this way, and I want to just read this whole thing. It's a little bit of a long one, but he says, To this we must add that Scripture, though theologically giving prominence to the will of God's good pleasure, by its teaching of the revealed will of God, underscores how and in what sense God does not will sin. In the signs of prohibition, admonition, warning, chastisement, and punishment, etc., God comes down to us and tells us what He desires for us. Because humans are rational moral beings, God does not deal mechanically with them, but speaks and acts in keeping with their nature. Just as a father forbids a child to use a sharp knife, though he himself uses it without any ill results, so God forbids us rational creatures to commit the sin that he himself can and does use as a means of glorifying his name. Hence, God's hidden will and his revealed will are not really incompatible as the usual objection has it. For in the first place, God's revealed perceptive will is not really his ultimate will, but only the command he issues as the rule for our conduct. In his perceptive will, he does not say what he will do, 
It is not the rule for his conduct. It is the rule for our conduct. It is only in a metaphorical sense, therefore, that it is called the will of God. And I think that's, that's really helpful. You might have to listen to that twice, but I think that's really helpful. Then Bavink tr- kind of just tries to balance the whole thing off where he, he, t- he talks about how God takes no pleasure in sin. It's never the object of his delight. And again, when, when God wills sin and decrees sin, he's not taking pleasure in sin. He never decrees sin for the sake of the sin itself, but for the sake of the good that he's going to bring. And then uh, Bavink says, and I'll just quote him again, just to kind of maybe close it, or unless you have something else that, that you want to add, Lauren. Um, but he says, the two wills, the secret and revealed, are so far from being opposed to each other that the revealed will is precisely the way in which the secret will is brought to realization. It is in the way of admonitions and warnings, prohibitions and threats, conditions and demands that God carries out his counsel. While God's secret will only ensures that human beings violating God's commandments do not for a moment become independent of God, but in the very moment of violating it, serve the counsel of God and become, however unwillingly, instruments of his glory. Not only the revealed will, but also the secret will of God is holy, wise, and good, and will precisely in the way of law and of righteousness become manifest in the end. And so I think that kind of summarizes it. I think, I think Bavink does just a great job of that. So I, you know, I, I hope that this is helpful for the ladies and for whoever else listens. Um, just kind of a, almost just a, an introduction to um, the will of God and uh, his omnipotence and power. We see that God is a God that accomplishes his purposes and um, is going to glorify himself through everything that happens in this world. I think it'd be a great little quote here from Mike Riccardi in that article on the Cripplegate in the third portion of that uh, blog. God ordains whatsoever comes to pass in order that his glory might ultimately displayed to the utmost. God's pursuit of his own glory is in order to the highest happiness of the creature. Because the creature's happiness consists in the knowledge of God, and our knowledge of God would be imperfect if we didn't see the full expression of his attributes, grace, mercy, forgiveness, justice, righteousness, and so on. And yet none of these attributes could be fully expressed if there was not sin to punish, to forgive, or sinners to whom to be gracious and merciful. God is not less glorious, but more glorious because he ordains evil. And the more he magnifies his glory, the greater is his love to us. Surely God cannot be charged with unrighteousness for doing that which amounts to the greatest benefit for us who are in, who are his. And he actually closes this section by quoting uh, Romans chapter 11, the same verses we read earlier on. Oh, the depth and riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So we will end this episode there. And again, just a reminder to all those, um, as we mentioned earlier on, we are now on the uh, Striving for Eternity Ministries page, strivingforeternity.org. 
and go to their podcast link and you can find our podcast there, Abide in the Word, along with many other podcasts with uh, um, many different topics, many different speakers and stuff. So go check that out and uh, share as you see fit. Thank you all for taking the time to listen. And again, hopefully this episode has been beneficial to you as it has been reading through this for myself. We, we thank you again. And until next time.